All right, and Jessica, thank you so much, so much for sharing that. You know, it's hard sometimes to acknowledge the struggles in our life. It's hard to acknowledge our, our weaknesses, but, uh, but Jessica is very inspiring being willing to, to share that and what God has done for us. She told me a few weeks ago, she said, you know, I want to tell my story. I, wanna, I want people to know what God is doing in my life, and uh, that's so encouraging to me. You know, yesterday I spent uh, all day at a conference in uh, a room full of what I would call the most honest people I've ever met. Uh, that room was, it, that room was uh, kind of a conference for Celebrate Recovery, uh, which is a, a ministry that reaches out uh, to people who are dealing with habits, hurts, uh, or addictions, or uh, anything in life, hang-ups, uh, that, that they struggle with. And I'm so encouraged uh, because really that's all of us. We may be at different levels of that, but really it's all of us that are struggling with issues in life. And I'm excited about that because we're in the process of bringing uh, that ministry to our church, and we need help to launch it. So if you are dealing with any of that, you know, the, the people who are best at that are the people who have found God's power and God's strength to be able to uh, overcome those and are in the process because we never, ever get past our struggles. We just deal with them and control them. Uh, but if you want to be a part of that, we're going to have an interest meeting on April the 11th, about 630 and uh, I would love to see a, a huge group of people. This is just where I think the next revival may come to the church as we deal with, uh, with, with people's challenges and all of us uh, that, that need that. So I want to throw that out and thank Jessica again for sharing that. Well, my name is Randy. I'm the minister here. I've been off a couple of weeks, a little bit of surgery. Uh, a lot of you have been so gracious. You know, I was just bombarded with uh, text and phone calls, and we got, you know, some food and just blessed by you guys. Uh, I don't have all my strength back, but, but I'm, I'm ready to get back in the swing of things. And, and so jumping back into this uh, series about I Am, uh, it's been really good, especially this message, because the title is I Am Afflicted. And you know, the, for a couple of weeks here, I really felt afflicted. I am a pathetic uh, patient, to be honest with you. I, I don't do well with that, because I, I'm laying there and I'm thinking, I, I'm dying and I'm never going to be better, and this is what my life is going to be the rest of my life. I mean, I, I know it's pitiful, and Lori looks at me with scorn and just says, you know, you're, you're just pitiful, and that's how, that's how I felt, you know. So I've felt very afflicted the last few weeks, uh, but I, I'm, get, I'm coming out of it. I am, uh, it's temporary for me, thankfully, and um, uh, I am on, on the mend. I am so blessed, but I look at, out across our audience, and I understand that not everybody deals with temporary affliction, that there are a lot of people who are a whole lot worse off than I have ever been, and I'm grateful that God has given me health and, and relationships and so many blessings in life, but I, but I know that some of you all deal with struggles and sufferings on a continual basis, and I, I was thinking about this as I was writing, I was thinking about the people in our church who have lost loved ones, spouses or parents or children, and that ache just does not go away. It is always there. It is a burden as you deal with that. And, and I think about people today in our church who are struggling with cancer and the affliction and the challenges that you are dealing with on a daily basis and your spouse and you're dealing with that and you're seeing it may not be getting a lot better. And those of you who are dealing with broken relationships, with a divorce that you didn't want or separation from your children or your parents or a sibling or, or, or a friend or, or something, and you're dealing with that type of affliction. I think about some of you, some of you guys that are dealing with challenges in your life, uh, uh, in your marriage, 
Some of you are dealing with conflict. Maybe it's not broken yet, but, but your marriage is not what it should be. And, and there's adultery maybe that you're, you're, you're suspecting or you know about, and you don't know how to deal with that. I know some of you are dealing with infertility. Well, I understand that. We dealt with that for a few years early in our marriage when you just can't get pregnant and it's all you can think about and all you can focus on. I know that some of you all have dealt with miscarriages where you did get pregnant, but, and you had that baby and you had that hope and then it was lost and you were just shattered because of that. I, I, I know that hurts. It's very, very real. And I think about all those things. I think about job loss and, and financial crisis and all those things. And we are all afflicted in some way, and I want you to know a couple things. Number one, I want you to know that God knows and God cares. Even if nobody else knows or shares that burden, sometimes we try to keep it to ourselves. God knows and God cares about your struggle. I want you to know we care as a church. We care about what's going on in your life, those personal issues that, that you struggle with. You, we, we care about that. We may not be able to fix that problem, but we do care. And I want you to know more than anything else, there is hope and healing one day for your affliction to be gone. That's what we live and long for when we're dealing with affliction like that, that we can't escape right now. So we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to give a lot of reasons about why we're afflicted. We're going to talk about how God can use our afflictions and our challenges. We're going to talk about just some amazing things that God reveals to us when we're in the middle of this battle and struggle in our lives. And we're going to take all this from the Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3 that Paul wrote. We're kind of studying through this book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And I'm going to read several verses here, so suddenly they're on the screen. Uh, but let's jump in, then we'll talk a little bit about it. Ephesians 3.1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy people, uh, holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach, the gen preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory." And when we read the Bible, we see that the Bible is amazingly honest about the reality of affliction and sufferings, isn't it? I mean, the Bible just lays it out there. And from beginning to end, cover to cover of the Bible, we, it deals with pain and struggles and suffering. And the reason why is because we know that life is full of those challenges. I mean, just living here. If you were the only person on the earth, it would be tough. But then throw in the mix of other people, and then it really gets interesting, doesn't it? Because we're going to cause ourselves to be afflicted by the things that we do. We're going to be afflicted by other people. And lo and behold, we're going to afflict other people as well. Think about how many things in life come because of one another. Because, because we just afflict one another. 
You know, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to the Ephesians, and Paul had done his share of hurting people. We've already talked about the guilt that he must have lived with. We first see the Apostle Paul, he's standing by why people are throwing rocks and stoning to death the, one of the first deacons in the Bible, Stephen, who was a deacon, then became an evangelist, just preaching Jesus, and they, they hate him, and they, they kill him with rocks. They stone him to death. And then fast forward, the next thing we see is that Paul's dedicated his life to destroying Christianity by trying to destroy Christians, killing them, imprisoning them, torturing them, persecuting them, and how many people he caused to suffer, how much affliction, how much loss of life and loss of freedom and, and, you know, health that he brought upon people. And he had to live with that because he had brought a lot of affliction on people. But then Paul met Jesus, and everything changed dramatically in his life, which always happens when you really meet him. Everything changed, and suddenly Paul is the persecuted, and he is the afflicted one as all of his friends and all of his colleagues turn on him, and then he begins to suffer for Jesus. And even now, writing this letter, he is in prison, which was not a comfortable, posh place like our prisons are today, and he is suffering. And so he talks about his own sufferings and what he has learned through them. So guys, if you are suffering in some way, any of those ways that I mentioned before or even more um, beyond that, know that God cares and that God's Word addresses your hurts. God is not silent about pain and suffering. In fact, one-third of the Psalms address the hurts of people and the afflictions of people. Every one of the prophets addressed the grief and cried out to God for relief. The book of Lamentations, which means weeping or crying, is a cry out to God by the prophet Jeremiah. God's people have always suffered affliction. It's just a part of it. Now, you contrast that with the false teaching of the day that says, if you really love God, you won't suffer. Where did the change happen here? Why do we get exempted? We don't, do we? A lot of people have been discouraged because they love God with all their heart, but they still suffer and they're afflicted, and so they think God doesn't care about them. The opposite is true. God cares most about those who struggle. Jesus was a man of sorrow, a man afflicted by pain and and unjust action, undeserved. But we have the promise that one day Jesus is going to bring all that suffering to an end. Meanwhile, he was willing to suffer for us. Now he is suffering with us and to identify with us in our sufferings. And one day our sufferings will be over. Praise God. That's what we long for and live for, guys. we got to hold on to that promise. Now, while we're going through that, you may feel like you're the only one who's ever been through anything like this. In fact, sometimes I think Satan, he uses our weakness in thinking this to destroy us. You know, like nobody has ever been through my depth of struggle. Nobody's ever hurt like me. Nobody's ever been afflicted. Nobody's ever, you know, had pain. Nobody had a a minor surgery like me. You know, I I can get that way. But God says, you know what? (laughs) Everybody deals with this. And the Bible is so honest about this. In fact, I I did a little study and and I looked at some of the reasons that people suffer today, why there's affliction, what the Bible tells us about it. And I came up with a whole bunch. I wanted to share them with you because I think you need to know why you suffer. There may be a reason that you suffer, all right? So let's look at several of them. There's a pretty long list. The first one is uh, what I want to call Adamic suffering. Not a bad word, but because of Adam. Let's back up and call it, blame, blame it on Adam, right? Because Adam and Eve sin in the garden. Do you realize how much suffering comes because of what he and Eve did in the garden? 
I mean, that was the source of all sickness, all pain, all suffering, all aging, all death. All those things came because of their original sin. So you are afflicted because of those couple. Want to blame somebody? Blame them. Going all the way back to the beginning. The second one is punishment affliction. As a result of their sin, because sin is out there now, and it's among us, and all of us sin, God says that those who try to bear the burden of their own sin, who never find forgiveness, they're going to be punished for their sins. So punishment affliction is promised to people, and it's going to culminate in people going to hell and suffering in affliction for eternity. So if you think what you're dealing with now is bad, it is minor compared to what hell will be like for those who bear punishment affliction. Third type of affliction is consequential affliction. That's the old saying that we reap what we sow, right? There are, there are some natural results to our actions. If you eat poorly or eat too much, you're going to have bad health. You're going to be overweight. I mean, you're, just, you're not going to be a healthy person. If you drink too much, there are some results to that. If you smoke, there, there can be some results to that, obviously. If you spend too much, you go into debt. If you don't study, you fail a class. If you don't go to work, you get fired. I mean, there's a there's a harvest that comes to whatever you sow. So the consequences of your own sin and decisions are going to bring about some type of affliction. You may bring it on yourself, but it's going to happen. The fourth type is demonic affliction. And this is when Satan and his demons are tormenting a person. It can be in sickness, addiction, mental anguish, torment, angu- uh, accusations, whatever it might be. Satan is the enemy, and he is the destroyer and the accuser of humanity. That's interesting, near the end of this book, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, because that's where the, ba- the Bible says the battle was being fought. Fifth is victim affliction. This is where someone sins against you. We all know about abusive relationships, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse. You didn't do anything wrong, but you were a victim. You were the vulnerable, a child, a, a woman, a, a, an elderly person, a weak person of some sort, and you were the victim of this affliction. Then there's collective affliction. This means that you're a part of a people, a group of people who are being attacked and are suffering. Paul and the Ephesians, the Christians there, were now under persecution. And you know what? Today in our world, things are very similar. Because, again, I read a study that said that the number one group of people who are persecuted around the world are Christians. Not any of these minor groups. It's the Christians who are being persecuted more than anybody else. So there is collective affliction. Next, there's disciplinary affliction. This is where God allows someone to be afflicted, not to punish them, but to mature them and correct them. This is where in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So if God allows you to to suffer affliction, it may be just because he loves you, and he wants to mature you. And the only way to do that is to put you through some affliction. You know, I can think back in my life, uh, over 10 years ago, an experience I went through uh, that, that I just suffered through that, and I couldn't understand why, but now I look back and see what God was teaching me, and I can anchor my faith deeper to that point 10 years ago because of the, the, uh, the affliction I went through. Next is vicarious affliction. That is, you suffer not because of who you are, but because you, who you identify with. And you know what? Today, uh, it's popular in our culture to rag on Christians, and you say, why don't they like Christians? I mean, what is, what is it about Christians that people hate? 
And it really isn't us, it is Jesus that they hate. And they hate us because vicariously they're hating Jesus through us. We're just what they see. In Ephesians 6, again, the Bible says that the, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual realms and powers. We don't fight people, it's a spiritual battle. Ninth is um, empathetic uh, affliction. That is someone that we love is hurting, and we hurt with them and for them. You know, that's one of the great characteristics, I believe, of compassion and mercy that we have. We see someone in pain and suffering, and we want to help them. The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn, so we hurt when they hurt. And that's a form of affliction. Then there's testimonial affliction. Your affliction is primarily an opportunity to allow people to see who Jesus is and what He has done. This morning, Jessica shared her testimony of what Jesus has done in her life to change her and help heal and restore her. That's amazing. Paul now is at the moment, he's in jail, he's doing no wrong, but he's suffering for Christ. He's giving God all the glory. Another type of affliction is providential affliction. That is that somebody goes through a hardship, but they endure it in such a way that people come to know God through that. A great example of this is in the Old Testament, Joseph. You probably know his story. He was a godly man. He was betrayed by his brother, ended up being a slave in Egypt. He was thrown into jail because he was lied about. There he is, uh, suffers, but he rises to power, and soon he uh, is in leadership of the country and saves millions of people uh, from a famine in that country. Uh, he did that because God provided, through his suffering, provided a way for many people to be saved. And another type of affliction is, is preventative affliction. This is where God may allow some hardship in your life, but it's to warn us and spare us from a greater hardship. Have you ever heard of somebody going to the hospital for something minor, like a minor surgery? They get in there and they discover, lo and behold, that you have something really serious wrong with you, and then they're able to fix it because they caught it early only because, only because they discovered it in a, in a very uh, obvious way. It might be uncomfortable, but it spared you from a greater misery. You know, the Bible says that God allows us to suffer here on this earth so that we don't have to suffer in eternity. So if our affliction drives us to God, then obviously God is preventing something worse from happening to us. Another affliction is a mysterious affliction. I like this one because this is what we see a lot. We don't know why. We just don't know why. You know, nobody knows why. You can't point back to any one thing or, or little thing, or maybe God's doing something we don't know at the moment. Just kind of it's mysterious. And then one more. I know it's been a long list, but one more. And this is an apocalyptic affliction. The Bible says that the longer we live on this earth, the closer we get to the end of time, there's going to be increasing opposition and suffering of God's people. The Bible just warns us of that. It just says that the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, there's going to be more suffering. And we should expect to, be, to, to struggle through that. You know, the Bible has a lot of reasons why we're afflicted. I didn't know that there were that many different reasons. But the question you ought to ask yourself at the time is, what kind of affliction am I suffering or experiencing right now? What am I dealing with? What is going on? And why is this happening? You know, maybe you can point back and you say, I know why this is happening because I did this. I know why I'm struggling because someone else did this to me. You might look at, hopefully look back and in the past and say, I know why I suffered because God was teaching me a lesson here. It may or may not be obvious, but if you can know the type, you know what to do next. If it's on you, repent. If it's on someone else, get some help. Whatever it may be, reach out, address it. You know, I said before in the series that our suffering should not define us, and they can, can't they? 
I mean, we can just embrace our suffering, and that's what we live for. And other people, we don't know it. Other people look at us, and they're like, oh, man, they will wear you out. I mean, telling you how bad they got it if you start talking to them, and they start avoiding you. You know, we're kind of known for our suffering sometime and our affliction, and we should not do that. Our suffering should not define us. Christ should. But our sufferings may very well explain us. Because in our sufferings, we discover the one who is our true identity in Jesus Christ. So here in the Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul wants to teach us a couple things about our afflictions and our sufferings and how we can use them in a positive way. Here's what he says. First of all, we are afflicted for other people's good. We are afflicted for other people's good. That may be hard to understand and grasp, but, but listen to this in 1 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Do you get it there? Paul says, I am struggling for you. And what I've been through can bless you. And all of us ought to understand that when we go through a difficult time and a hard time, that we are afflicted perhaps so that we can help other people. Now look here in this, in Ephesians 2, Paul had said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul here, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so when you look at this time frame in which he wrote this, Paul's saying, the reason I'm suffering is because I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. See, there were a lot of other people who were preaching Jesus at the same time. They weren't being persecuted like Paul. They weren't in jail at the moment. They were out free. And you might wonder, well, why was Paul? You know, why was everybody ragging on Paul? It's because Paul was a high-profile leader at that point. His enemies were not just his old Jewish buddies, but they were also some Christians who didn't think he ought to be cutting the Gentiles in on salvation. So they made this big fuss about it. They made Paul more controversial. When he spoke, they would cause a riot and oppose him and stir the people up, you know, that just were looking for a reason to get upset. That in turn caused him to be arrested and, and by, for disturbing the peace, all because of them, not Paul. And Paul says, I, I, all this is happening because my mission and my ministry is to the Gentiles. So he speaks here about the administration of grace, is what he calls it, that had been given to him. In other words, his mission, and he calls it a, mission, a mystery. And then he tells us what the mystery is in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is, is God is creating a big family, and he's, you know, a big tent, and he's inviting everybody in, and we're like, that's good, isn't it? And we're sitting in a room with, with diverse people and diverse backgrounds and cultures and, and everything else, and it's a good thing, Right? Not in that day. Not in that day. It wasn't. The lines were drawn really clearly there. They, they were very clear. And um, it was the first time really that anybody who was not in the Jewish faith was inviting anybody else to join them, to be saved. And, and they thought that was bad. So Paul says, hey, I'm willing to suffer. I'll be the fall guy. I'll take the blame. 
that everybody dislikes me if it will give me a chance to talk about Jesus, to get people saved, and, and to bring people into the kingdom of God. He was afflicted for other people's good. So let me ask you this. When you're afflicted, whatever it might be, how can you use that affliction to help other people come to know Jesus? How can you use that? Maybe it's a being mocked at work. You know, how can you turn that around and use it in a positive way to point people to Jesus? You know, I don't think that God ever wants us to waste a hurt. If you hurt, there ought to be a good reason for it. If you struggle, you ought to turn it around and make it, you know, give glory to God sometime. Use whatever afflictions or challenges you have to make God look good and point other people toward Him. You know, sometimes the most powerful ministries in life are born from our deepest afflictions. Let me give you an example of that. I mentioned earlier about infertility and that we had gone through that. When Lori and I were first married, wanted to start our family, could not get pregnant. It was heart-rendering. I don't think people understand how painful that is. If you uh, had no problem getting pregnant, <laughs> you don't know how painful it is not to be able to say that. And from that, you know, we became aware of a problem in our culture that we had not even known about before. It was, a, it was the problem of abortion. We didn't really, that wasn't on our radar as young, you know, young people. We didn't know what that was really much about it. But we began to see the fact, man, we want a baby so badly, and then we found out that people were actually killing babies. I mean, it was like, we could not believe that. And so, you know, Lori is a, a woman of action, and so she said, we got to do something about this. We got to do something. Of course, we couldn't solve the big problem, but, but uh, several years ago, when we were uh, young people, <laughs> 25, 30 years ago, um, she led in starting a crisis pregnancy center up in Salem, Indiana, which is where we were living at the time. She led in starting that, and it was not easy. You know, to us, it was a no-brainer, but to some people, it was very challenging, and they, they, they didn't want us to do that, to be honest. Even the church we were in pushed against us some. But, but she worked, and we established that crisis pregnancy center with the help of others. And now I look back 25, 30 years later, whatever that is, that pregnancy center is still there in existence. Praise God. It is still there. One of our good friends that were up there. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Um, it, it's, it's so amazing. It's still there, saving hundreds of babies, ministering to thousands of women in crisis pregnancy through the years. Sometimes the greatest ministries are born out of our deepest afflictions, and I'm confident that would never be there in its form, had we not gone through that struggle. So Paul says, sometimes our struggle is for other people's good. The second thing Paul says, you can be afflicted for your own growth, for you. Not always about other people, sometimes it's about you. In verse 7, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul didn't ask for this assignment. He didn't say, let me be the bad guy. <laughs> you know, let, let me be the one everybody hates. You know, really, he had it pretty much made as a rich Jewish leader. But when he met Jesus and he was called to be an apostle of the Gentiles, suddenly he it all turned and everything was against him. He, he suffered continuously, persecution, sickness, shipwreck, beatings, all these things. And through all of this, he never was prideful. He was always humble. He said, I'm the least of all the Lord's people. I'm the least. I'm the chief among sinners. But you know what? Through all these things, Paul grew so rapidly, and very soon, Paul was a giant in the faith. I mean, think about some of the greatest Christians you know about. If you had to go back in time in history, Paul would rank up there pretty high, especially from where he, where he came. 
See how he grew so dramatically through all these times? He was a missionary, did all these journeys, planted new churches, defending the faith, wrote 14 books in the New Testament, went to jail, raised up next generation leaders, ended up dying as a martyr for his faith. I mean, think about what Paul did. And all this happened because, much because, not only of his ministration of grace, his ministry, but also his afflictions. You know what I've discovered? We never grow in the good times. When things are going great, we don't grow much. Why? Because we, we got it going. It's not going our way, you know. Why do we need God? So we, we can tend to walk away when things are good, but we always grow in the difficult times. That's when things get real to us. When we suffer and God shows how good He can be, how He alone can sustain us, and God can grow us in the most challenging of situations. When you go through cancer, when you experience the death of a loved one, when you are abandoned, you're on your own except for God. You know, the, the reality is we, we, we go into these things thinking, I'll never survive this. I, I can't get through this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm desperate. And then in the midst of all of that, we come out stronger and a greater awareness of God's incredible grace for us. So the question here is, what can your afflictions do to help you grow spiritually? Do not waste a single hurt in your life. Knowing that Jesus suffered for us and overcame it, knowing that we are responsible for His suffering should make us feel guilt that should move us to be faithful. Knowing that He is faithful in ways that we can only discover while walking through the hard times with Him and say, you know what, it was tough, but I would never trade that because I learned so much about God. I grew in my affliction. And then lastly and third, we can be afflicted for God's glory. This is hard for us sometimes to understand. But you know, as servants, we've got to get this, we've got to get to understand this. Paul says his intention was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul says all this is happening so that uh, the wisdom of God would be made known. You know, he's reminding us here that when we suffer, there are a lot of people who are watching. A lot of people are watching how we're going to resolve that, how we're going to deal with that. We can all claim, hey, you know, God is good when everything's going good, but when things are going bad, can we still say God is good? Can we still do that? Could you accept the fact that God may allow you to suffer only for Him to get the glory? Only reason is for Him to get the glory. Can you accept that? Could you accept that? You know, the Bible talks about a great cloud of witnesses and, uh, in Hebrews about the saints who have gone on before. And I believe that in that cloud of witnesses are angels. I, I know there's Satan and his demons are watching, right? But you know, there are also people who don't even know us who are watching. I mean, with the, with, with the popularity of social media, you know what? The, the giving God the glory, it, it can be bad, I know, but giving God the glory to people you don't even know can just happen all over the place. There's people praising God and people are sharing and liking this, and, and, and the world, world goes around because God's getting the glory. Even to people, three people we don't even know are being testified about how great Jesus is, how great God is. You know, when I think about suffering, there's, there's a character in the Bible that my mind always goes back to, and that's Job. And Job was known for what? Patience, right? He was known for patience because he endured through all of that. But he also ought to be known for a great model of how to deal with affliction, not only being patient, but just, just dealing with it. Now, now, why did he need patience? Because 
one day he lost everything. If you know the story there, you know that the Bible says that one day in heaven all the angels and demons came together for a spiritual meeting of some sort. <laughs> I don't know, understand that whole thing, but, but they were all there, and Satan had been traveling around the earth, and the Lord said to Satan, hey, Satan, did you ever notice Job, what a faithful guy Job is? And Satan, oh yeah, I know, everybody knows Job, you know, he's pretty well known, he's, he's a God man for sure. But he said, there's no wonder why, because you blessed him in every way, he has everything that you could ever imagine, he's got wealth and family and health and everything. And he said, you know, if you were to take that away, he would curse you and die. And God said, I don't think so. Satan said, give me a shot. And so God allowed him to have several shots at Job. In fact, he pulled back a protective veil that obviously all of us have around us a lot. And everything began to happen. His oxen were stolen. His servants were killed. His sheep were destroyed with fire from heaven. His camels were carried off by by robbers. And then one day, in one fell swoop, his sons and daughters, all of them were killed at one moment. He lost everything. His body was afflicted with sores. His wife, who was supposed to be his biggest support, she bailed on him. She, She didn't support him. His friends came and said, Job, you've done something horribly sinful that God's punishing you for punishment affliction. And Job said, I don't think so, because he kept his faith in God no matter what. And he was patient. He did not blame God for this. He did not deny God. He didn't bail out by claiming to have some sin that wasn't in his life so he could be relieved. He just trusted God. And through his life, God was glorified, not just in his day, but all the way down through time till today, we can talk about what a great man of God Job was. Wasn't perfect, but he was a great man of God. And in the end, God turned it around. God made him prosper. God gave him twice what he had before in, in um, possessions and, and crops and, and animals, and he gave him a whole new family again. You know, sometimes I think affliction is less about us and more about what God how God needs to be glorified. It's not really about us at all because we're just his servants. We're just doing his will. And we have to trust him. And if we are in him, he promises he will sustain us, number one, and one day he will relieve us of our sufferings. And we cling and we hold to that in faith. But the key we have to have is we have to be in Christ. Remember, we began in this series by saying, that our identity must be in Christ, not in our things, not in people, not in our sufferings or afflictions. It is in Christ, and we hold tight to Him when the storms of life come and surround us and sway us and pull us. We have a firm foundation through Christ, and we stand with Him. This morning, if you do not have that foundation, I would love to have a conversation with you. You can do that in person. Come up and talk to me. You can check on your card. I want to talk to a minister, whatever it might be. We want you to be firm and strong that will take you, help you weather the storms of life and deal with the afflictions of this world. You must be in Christ. As we wrap up our time together, there's, there's something that we do on a regular basis here to remind us that we are in Christ, and it's, it's like a meal that we have. In fact, it's called the Lord's Supper, that we gather together as believers, and we take a piece of bread, and we take a cup of juice, and we... We give them a special symbolic meaning that they remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. He was afflicted and broken so that we could be healed. And we're going to do that in just a moment. And we invite you to join us if you're a believer. Uh, we just invite you to share. Our, our tradition is that we 
uh, pass the, the plate around and take it, the emblems out and hold them until we're ready. And then privately, we just go ahead and do that in the next few moments. And we'll give you some quiet time to do that. But we invite you to share with us in remembering the extreme love of Jesus and his sufferings for us through his death on the cross. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you that when we suffer, which is a part of life, that it does not have to be meaningless and that we should never waste it, but we should always use it for your glory, for the blessing of others, or perhaps, God, even for our own growth. So, God, I ask that you would guide us in this time of celebrating, which seems to be a strange thought, but celebrating the sufferings of Jesus, not that we wished him bad, but, God, that we glory because of his love for us and his, his death on the cross. God, now as we take this bread and this cup, would you bless it so that it would in turn bless us and that, God, we uh, would be reminded of your incredible, powerful love and we'd be drawn closer to you as we examine ourselves through this time. I pray in Christ's name.